Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am so happy to have with me today Dean Lambert as my guest. And we're going to talk about things that we haven't talked about before on this podcast and things that people don't always talk about. And it's a really good idea to talk about them. So, Dean, can you you kind of introduce yourself and tell us about you and what you do? Sure. Aloha. Mahalo. I have worked with uh, the funeral profession for almost 30 years now. I'm a military brat, uh, spent some time in your home state of Hawaii when I was younger, and we've been back several times, and uh, and it's a great place to live and visit. I uh, moved around a lot, and being part of a military family, you get exposed to a lot of things, positive, negative. Uh, you know, my father was in Vietnam a couple times. My brother was uh, uh, in the Navy with the SEALs, and my son was in the United States Marine Corps. And you are exposed to, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, realities of life and death when you're affiliated with the military. My father's last station was in Omaha, Nebraska, at, at uh, Offutt Air Force Base. And uh, of all the places that we moved, uh, I got deposited there. And then when he retired, uh, they left and I, I became a Midwestern person. Our family's originally from the Queens, New York area. It's funny how your life goes. I was, uh, ever since I was young, wanted to be a doctor and uh, everything made sense to me until I got to university and, and discovered how much science and math you needed to be a doctor that uh, was stuff that, you know, wasn't necessarily inherent, you know, when you're uh, hanging around um, EMTs and volunteering as hospitals and things like that. There's a lot of stuff a, a doctor needs to know, obviously. And I uh, got introduced to uh, broadcasting from a friend of mine um, in college and ended up going that way and ended up in uh, broadcasting and marketing and advertising. Started an ad agency and uh, one of the funeral homes where I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, called on us uh, to help them with some communications. They were really wanted to talk about, you know, and demystify uh, the funeral profession and really learn how to super serve their families in a way that wasn't intrusive or imposing or that reminded them that the reason why they did business together is because somebody in the family died. And so we did a really good job of that. And that funeral director introduced us to many, many other funeral homes. And I um, realized that pretty quickly that, uh, you know, moving around a lot, you kind of crave to have a hometown and roots. And I always wanted to be that town doc, you know, that uh, birthed all the babies and took care of people as they age and was, you know, sort of in a community and, and giving and, you know, providing value for value. As I learned about the funeral business, I, I started to realize, wow, you know, um, there was a lot of the elements of being a town doc. You know, most funeral home funeral directors are, are staples in the community. They take care of people at the worst possible times and hope launch them into a sort of better times, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about. And of course, there was the clinical side of things and uh, with pre pre preparing for uh, a, a body body preparation, you know, for people who wanted to have visitations and, and viewings and things like that. So I was intrigued and I, I talked to the funeral homeowner. I said, hey, I think I want to be a funeral director and here's why. And he said, um, you know, you've got everything, you know, you, 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 you could do it. 
But what you've done for our firm to help lift us up in the community and, and really build a brand around a funeral home and to help us understand how to better communicate what we do and why we do it to families in the community, that's something that's sorely needed. So why don't you keep doing what you're doing and you'll stay close to the industry or the profession and I'll help you meet new customers. And uh, that led to me working with a, a couple of hundred funeral homes in marketing and public relations. And then I met the company I currently uh, work for, which is uh, the company that's sponsoring the Love Always Project, Homesteaders Life Company. And uh, slowly uh, moved up in the ranks. Uh, I remembered that funeral director who has since passed telling me the value I could bring. And the company I work for now serves, you know, 3,000 funeral homes a year. And so going wow. from 200 to 3,000 funeral homes, doing what I love to do really appealed to me and helped me to, you know, sort of uh, achieve that mission that that the, this funeral director who got me into the business uh, really saw for me. One of the things that I that I've always talked about in our company is the importance of looking at what people who plan in advance and pay in advance, how they feel uh, about that decision and really listen to them and 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 understand that a majority of the people who, who are willing to explore and get informed and actually go through the process that ends up in having a plan that your family knows about and having a plan that might be paid for in advance uh, really makes that day uh, of your death much easier. And the data shows that 100, at least the people that have funded and planned through funeral homes that work with our company, that 100% of the people that plan and fund are satisfied with what they did to varying degrees, either completely satisfied or very well satisfied. Nobody's not satisfied. And the other thing we learned from asking these, uh, these planners is that 43% of them within a month of prearranging have on their own recommended it to somebody else family, friend, whatever. They become mavens, uh, to quote um, Malcolm Gladwell. But uh, uh, so we know that we have, you know, uh, something that this is something people, you know, are very satisfied and, and glad that they did. But it's just so hard to get to that point. And not only that, but when I talk to a person on an airplane or wherever, what I, what, when they ask me what I do and I tell them that I, that I work with funeral homes, to help them get the message out about, you know, thinking ahead in terms of funeral planning. Nobody says, well, that's stupid. Why would anybody want to do that? A hundred percent of the time, they say something around, I didn't know you could do that. Wow. So I'm like, we have this huge opportunity to invest money and time and resources and try and bring awareness to consumers uh, not only that, you know, you can plan in advance and get things down. You you can pay in advance. There are ways to do that that are safe and secure. And that satisfies what a lot of consumers want to do, like myself, who's almost 60 years old, who does not want my family to have to guess what I would have wanted, that, that would want to know what it is, how I would feel like would be a way to celebrate my life or what to talk about in terms of remembering me. And not taking away any of the desire from my, from my family because I'm talking to them while I can. And the other thing is, is that I want to provide the funding for it. I don't want them to have to use my investments, whatever's left over, or, retire, or uh, life insurance, which is meant for living expenses. I want to set something aside that's very specific for, to pay for that so they don't have to. And all they need to do on the, on the day that I die and the days after I die is talk about how to remember me 
to laugh about me, to cry about me if they need to, and not have to worry about the details. And so uh, my company has been generous enough and is committed to the Love Always Project. And uh, basically, we're, our effort is to create a movement that engages people around discussions of their experiences with death, what they liked, what they didn't, what was uncomfortable, what's comfortable, and what they wish there was or they want to know about. And then the second thing we'd like to do is provide access to resources. So however far they want to go through with it, we, they have a way and a place that they can trust that can direct them in the right, in, in the right way. That's so wonderful. You know, in, in our society, we don't talk about things like this. I, I remember mentioning to my daughter years ago something about when I die. And she said, nope, <laughs> not dealing with that, not talking about that. And I thought, well, you, you need to <laughs> at yeah. some point. Yeah. And having been through it with, with so many loved ones, it's different every time. And the preparation level is different every time. And it's no fun trying to guess what somebody would have wanted. And it's yeah. so wonderful when you know exactly what it is. I, I know my, my dad died suddenly. And mm -hmm. so we, we hadn't talked about it. The whole family, nobody knew. And it, it was a trying time for us. Very so trying. My mom, as soon as she was to the point where she could, made all the arrangements. So everything was decided and paid for and everything for her so that, that my sister and I didn't have to go through what she had gone through with that. Yeah, and I don't think that puts constraints on survivors. No. I think that uh, you can still have a conversation. I mean, life changes. A person can plan the, the, all of the things that have to do with end, the end of life, and life goes on, and it's important to keep checking in with those things. And mm -hmm. honestly, uh, I think that if I were to tell a person why, if they should say why, I would say the number one reason why is that you actually have some control and can get creative about telling your story on an ongoing basis. You sit around at holidays or kids' baseball games or whenever people get together and everything you do, the smell, what you see, what you hear, that gets to be part of your life, your lived experience, your memory of your lived experience. And, and you should live in the moment, but how do you savor that? And how do you express how you feel about those moments and especially some of the big milestone ones, or could be a grandson winning the state championship in a sport or losing a tooth or whatever. If those to, to a grandparent or a parent are moments that they, that, you know, meant something to them, or if those types of moments are moments that mean something to them, then that's part of, of a tapestry, a story that I think that you can um, make sure that is told. So that if, when you're planning it, you're not rushing and you don't leave any details out. And one of the stories I always uh, talk about is uh, my son, who was one of the 22 a day you hear about. He was in the Marines and served in Afghanistan in 2013, came home and, and just was uh, just couldn't get life started. And he uh, committed suicide on July 5th after an amazing July 4th celebration early in the morning of July 5th of 2015. He was gone. And of course, when you're in the military, they require you to, to, to um, write down some of the things, you know, what your religious preferences are and what maybe your burial uh, or, or disposition preferences are, cremation or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, maybe some details about, you know, your, you know, how you want to be commemorated. 
my wife and I are both in the same business. My wife um, is the representative and who works with the funeral homes and helps them actually with their businesses. And, and I'm in marketing communications. And so we both have been around this business for a very, very long time. After my son died, I ride with the Patriot Guard riders. We do military escorts to uh, to and from uh, the funeral homes or wherever the celebration is and then and to the whatever cemetery they choose. And so I must do probably 15 missions a year. And I made two calls right away when I knew Adam was gone. The first call was not to the funeral home because we already kind of knew who we'd call there, but it was to my Patriot Guard captain and said, Adam had ridden with us that year on a motorcycle. And, and so he was a member. And I said, I told him the story and he said, we're there, you know, let us know. And uh, the other part of the story is that uh, many funeral providers uh, have embraced what we call a Harley hearse or some sort of a caisson that is pulled behind a Harley Davidson. Uh, a lot of veterans are, are like riding motorcycles and things like that. And so they want to be pulled in this caisson. And I'm familiar with a couple of vendors uh, that create these beautiful caissons for, that are pulled between Harleys. And so I suggest them to funeral homeowners all the time. Tell them how important it is. When we got to planning the funeral, and the funeral director was going through everything. When he got to what they call the livery, which are the, the cars and the, the coaches, which most mm -hmm. people refer to as a hearse, the family cars, flower cars, things like that. Um, he got to a picture and he says, well, of course, I'm sure you, you want the Harley hearse. Your, uh, your uh, Patriot Guard captain has already contacted us and said you want an escort. And it stopped me literally dead in my tracks. If the funeral director had not go th gone through the process, a methodical process, and got to that point and reminded me of the Harley hearse. As much as I knew about the business, as much as I thought I had it together, that was the moment I knew that I was not in my right mind with my son's death, that it really happened, and that I'm not capable of making quick decisions right now. Because I would have forgotten that. And guess what? You get one shot. Yeah. And so... I'm not saying if we would have planned his funeral more, you can never plan for the death of a child. I don't care if they're in the military or whatever. You know, I'm not saying that I would have been better prepared because we would have planned our, our son's funeral. But I know that you can be better prepared when you're planning for yourself or an elderly or Ill, an ill family member in advance because I can attest to the fact that once you sit down, no matter how calm you feel about it, no matter how prepared you feel about it, something important will be missed and you'll kick yourself for the rest of your life. And so that's why we're going to do everything we can to make sure that people understand the importance of having these discussions and how to have them without making it icky for somebody, whether it's the parent talking to the kids or the kids saying, Hey, mom and dad, I hope you live a long, long time. But um, you know, if I'm going to be responsible for planning your end of life, I want to be that ally and I want to make sure your story's tell. And I want to make sure that some of the things that we might want are incorporated in that. So whenever you're ready, we're ready to have the talk. I got my pencil ready. And so then you just keep touch. You, you know, you keep doing it. And as hard as it sounds, and everybody's different depending on the relationships, but I, I you know, we're just going to encourage people to, to do that. And I think what we're trying to create is people telling their stories of actually doing that or their barriers to doing that. And then everybody, it's not us driving the conversation. It's the folks that, that are engaged to our group and, and people like yourself who have permission to have these discussions and normalize it. So they have a much better experience end of life and also can grieve much better and have a happier and a healthier 
uh, life after they lose a loved one or many loved ones. That's so important. And my audience, it's mostly people who are dealing with loss or with grief themselves. And this is the ideal time for them to think about this. Yeah. That they know what they experienced and they, they can, from that, help make decisions now that will help their loved ones in the future. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we just have to, we have to talk about it. We, we have to do things about it. You really do. And I think that even though a parent may take responsibility for, you know, planning in advance, part of part of the research shows that people feel like that, that they feel like it's an obligation and they feel like they have done the, a smart thing, both in the planning and many in the paying in advance if they, you know, if, if they were able to do that. They also feel like that they're relieving a burden emotionally or financially from their family. And after they're finished, uh, I guess the, the most important thing, you know, in marketing, uh, they talk about the customer experience. And if you have, if you're giving a person an excellent customer experience, the best type of customer is one that voluntarily advocates for your brand or for the product or service. And the fact that 43% of prearrangers, at least from the cohort that we prearrange with, 43% within a month, we survey them uh, in usually in May, every other year, a month after they plan. And within that month, 43% of the people said that they have recommended it, not just told somebody they did it, they've recommended it to, to a family member or friend. And I think that any business would love to have that type of a customer base who's willing to talk about something that is unco- was uncomfortable for them, perhaps, knows it will be uncomfortable to the person they're talking to, but still thinks it's important enough to talk about it. And uh, many of them know that their survivors will enter the grief process in a much better state because there will be less doubt, less things possibly missed, less stress about the end of life planning process, how much we spent, did we buy the right casket, should we have cremated, all that stuff. The family conflict that goes along when nobody knows what to do and that, that, that brother or sister moved away 10 years ago and came back for planning the funeral. And they're like, well, 10 years ago, dad said that he wanted to be cremated. And the, the oldest sister who's helped be the caretaker says, he didn't tell me that, that ain't happening. That's the type of conflict that can last and hurt a family for a very long time. Tell me what kind of grieving process that ends up being, Yeah, you know, because now you're grieving over the fact that your parent died and you didn't keep enough close uh, tabs on your parent or or close enough to the family that now you're arguing with your brothers and sisters. And if there's a fracture there, you go through grief, even though that brother or sister didn't die, because now you're not now you've got a rift in the family. So it's definitely is definitely we see the opportunity to have a much healthier overall grieving process. And especially because you're allowed to celebrate that day as opposed to, did I get it right? Did I spend enough? Did I not, did I spend too much? That, it's just so important. I, I was uh, in kind of a different situation here when my, I had two husbands die and the second one had lived in Hawaii long before I knew him. And when he realized that he was not going to be living a whole lot longer. He said he really wanted to move back to Hawaii. And I thought, I've always lived in California. I'm not sure I want to, you know, Mm -hmm. just leave everything behind, but I did. And we were here for two years before he he died. And I thought, well, there's not going to be anybody here to really do anything with. And we'd already planned on doing something on the mainland. 
to go over there. But my friends got together and put together the most beautiful thing for me here that are for him where it was an ash scattering service. And we had a, a Hawaiian kapuna, an elder who, who did ceremonies that came in full Hawaiian regalia. It was on the beach and I couldn't believe the people that came. Yeah. Our gardeners, our housekeepers, because I thought, I don't know anybody who's going to come, the doctors. <laughs> and they all brought these, these, these flowers from their gardens for us to, uh, when we rode out in the canoes, to scatter the ashes and, mm-hmm. and put the flowers out. With it. It, was, it was absolutely beautiful. Sounded like an amazing experience. You know, what's interesting, Emily, is that you stopped yourself when you said for me, and then you said for him. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot of confusion out there still. And the confusion is because the conversations don't happen, not because mm-hmm. people really don't get it. But, you know, there is that question of who's the funeral for. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting topic all on its own. You can bet that that celebration was as much for you as it was for your husband. Your husband, of course, was observing from somewhere else, depending on your beliefs. Your husband was present very present, depending on your beliefs. And every single person that was involved in that celebration felt that presence. And the mm-hmm. fact that you had such a close connection to him, uh, you probably may or may not realize it, but you know they felt him through you. You were a representative of his life. And so yeah. that's why these things are great. You know, um, they started a GoFundMe account for Adam's funeral, uh, all the Marine buddies and, and people. And I had told a friend of mine who, who I work with that uh, I'm just going to donate that money. I don't need to, I don't need to spend that money on a funeral. I can, you know, I can, I can pay for it. I just, I feel bad taking that money. And, and this friend of mine is I've known for 25 years said, Dean, you have to, they want to do this. If you donate their money to something else, then you're not doing justice. Let them do this. If you want to make a donation, take what you would have spent and donated something, which we mm-hmm. did. But I think it's a fair conversation, mm-hmm. uh, especially when, you know, you get into discussion, discussing end-of-life issues. Well, who's this for, you or me? Well, it's very complicated, you know. Uh, honestly, if I'm going to bring the topic up to an elderly parent or an ill parent, which makes it tougher, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to project that they might think that you're after something. And you've got to get over the, that projection. Now, mm-hmm. as well as you might know your parents, you can never know what's on their mind. And uh, don't get me started about what's going on in the world today. There's a lot of projection going on about what people think, and but it's all you inside. So you got to try and let that go and find the right way and the right time and the right words to say, I love you. And I'm here whenever you want to talk about your end of life plans. If you have some great, I'd like to know about it. So, you know, we can make sure that what you want, you, you know, happens. But I also know that I'm proud of you and that you this and you raised me and whatever. And I'd like to participate in helping tell that story. And it just never seems like the right time to do it. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's when a parent gets sick or they have to go into long-term care of some kind. And then that brings in the whole financial, you know, mm-hmm. questions about how much to spend and how much they have and things like that. So if you can prep for those things before something makes you have to do it, that just like a funeral and an immediate, you know, when somebody dies, you, you're, you have to do something. And none of us work well when our backs are against the wall. That's right. So that, that's what we really hope to accomplish is just getting information out there as much as we can, but really learning from people 
who know lots of stuff because they've experienced it for better or worse, but finding out what questions people have. And the topic, I mean, we launched the website and our social media probably the beginning of this month, and the engagement is huge. And we haven't even done anything except for search engine optimization. So we know just by uh, social listening, this is at the top of people's minds, whether it's a Bob Saget death, mm-hmm. whether it's COVID, whether it's impending crises in Ukraine, people all of a sudden think about, you know, what's my future going to be like? What if that happens to me? And, or I don't want that hap- to happen to me. So it's, it's out there. And we just hope to offer the right types of, of forms uh, so that people can learn from one another. And then we can learn what kind of information we need to help get out there so people are, feel like they're informed and that they know where to go. So you, you've mentioned the Love Always Project. Can you kind of define that or tell us more about that? Yeah. So the Love Always Project, basically, um, I'm going to pull up our website real quick. I'm not going to share my screen, but I just want to make sure that I um, quote the party line here because we've just been in the middle of massive creation and content. And, and so I've got a lot on my mind. But really, the way we I approached it as the project leader is I didn't want to have, you know, just a, a, another bunch of channels out there that said the same things a different way. What we wanted to do is, is I always felt this was going to be more of a grassroots movement. I didn't want to speak to or at people. I certainly don't have any training in grief support, formal training. I'm not accredited, but I, but I have been working around the funeral profession long enough to know where the ups and downs are and what questions people have and what questions are afraid to ask. So we decided to, to create this movement to encourage people to have discussions and to think about pre-planning and even paying for their funeral as an ultimate act of love. Uh, a lot of the people that we researched said that it's almost like a love letter. You know, uh, a will is not a love letter. But if you leave your thoughts and your memories and your, uh, the things that are important to you as, as you consider, you know, what you want your funeral to look like or what you want your celebration to look like, it's a love letter in many ways. And so that's why we have the heart as our logo. We just kind of keyed off of what people's attitudes, opinions, and beliefs about what this could be, what, the, what's the, what this could be. And so that's why we're focused on, on love. That's why we're focused on caring. That's why we're focused on, you know, really making sure that people really sort of own this. We, we have a website which is going to grow in the amount of content that's on there. What we want to make sure is that we have enough content, that there's enough discussions, that there is enough res- are enough resources to keep people wanting to come back and keep looking, you know, at what's what's going on there and keep stay engaged. The more you learn, the more of an advocate you can be. I uh, happen to belong to a couple of groups. I, I ride motorcycles. Uh, I like motorcycle touring. And honestly, I took a page out of that. There are a lot of forums for hobbies like and sports like motorcycling. And they are communities, you know, whether you're riding Harley Davidson, which I did for many years, or switching to a different kind of motorcycle, I've learned that those communities come together and really love to share their experiences. You know, what do you buy? What did you camp? Can you camp? You know, I have this problem. Is it easy to fix? I'd like to try, you know, and people are more than willing to share their experience and, you know, also give each other chiding when they feel like that, you know, that it's, it's necessary, but anytime you can come around something and build a community around it, then, then you will learn and you will enjoy what you're doing much better. 
I didn't have that growing up. I moved, I mean, 18 times in 17 years, and that's with living wow. in a couple of places for three years. And so I missed that being part of the community. And I actually feel like it sort of stunted my, my growth a little bit because everywhere I had to start over. And we look at the Love Always Project as a way that people could come in and have a community and, and learn enough to want to advocate you know, learn enough to want to talk to others and help others, just like you're doing with your organization. And that's what we hope to do. So right now, I feel we have a lot of great content on the website. We're getting a, a ton of engagement above industry uh, averages for social on our Instagram page and our uh, Facebook page. But we really haven't done that much yet to build the audience. We just wanted to see what would naturally attract. And we're really, I feel, because the, the topic is relevant and resonant, that we're getting a lot of looks. Our official uh, launch uh, is going to coincide with, I believe we're going to be uh, in, a, in a USA Today uh, insert in March about end of life. Wow. And so that'll really be when we'll get the exposure, I think, that will attract more people to what we're doing. And I'm really hoping that, that we'll have probably at least a 60-40 split between the amount of content that's user-generated on there, experiential, versus what we have to do. I'm hoping that people volunteer to, to submit blogs or they want to link to things. This is something that we want, to, we want consumers to really feel like they have ownership in. Also, we are looking at starting a foundation, unofficial yet, but um, our company is the uh, Homesteaders Life Company is looking at starting a foundation uh, where we can fund uh, things that are related to end of life. I would love to see people who have uh, per perhaps died from violent deaths you know, God forbid, women's shelters or accidents or suicide where people don't have the funds where we can access and help folks. I've been on many, many Patriot Guard rides where there are veterans who have passed in veterans homes that have zero family and we can't find them. And we've uh, gotten the funeral homes and the Patriot Guard and the other uh, American Legion riders and other veteran riding groups to come together and have large, inspiring funerals. Because that veteran represents, you know, something in society that I think is, is a shame that these people on, uh, that happily live to an old enough age that, you know, they don't have anybody around. But sometimes the circumstances aren't great. So if we can contribute to that, uh, if people have ideas for grants, you know, and things that help folks with grieving or healthy, you know, thinking about end of life planning and things like that, we'd love to support those. So we're working on uh, formulating that right now. And that way, when people join our project, there's no cost for joining it. If they go through with planning and funding, then we would like to take some of that and make sure that people know that they're doing it with purpose, not only to advocate for planning in advance, but also knowing that when they do something and when they're part of our group, that they know that they're part of something that has a purpose and that's doing something mean, meaningful for the, the community. That's just, it's amazing work. It's so needed and it, it's so needed to be talked about. And I'm very grateful that we were able to talk about this today. And we will put all of your information, your links, your your Instagram, whatever you want in our show notes here. So all of our listeners will be able well, to you. connect with you in, in whatever way that they connect. Because everybody seems to do it a little bit differently this nowadays. Yeah, they do. It's kind of the Wild West in terms of uh, social media. And I come from the old school media. So I thankfully surround myself with folks that are where they were sort of grown up on how to do all this. It's definitely uh, definitely a learning curve for me. Yeah. And, it, and it's important. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, uh, wow, this, this conversation has just been 
marvelous. And well, appreciate I, it. I, I see how it can be very inspiring to our listeners. And just even to create conversations, you know, to, to start talking, to start talking to more people and opening doors. I, I know there's a popular book that came out recently. That I think it's called I'm Dead Now What? Have you heard of that? Uh, I've heard the title. I have not read the book. I, it's, it's not really something to read. It's more of a, a fill in the blanks thing that you can oh, do yes, for yourself. Okay. And then sure. it's there when you die, your loved ones, if they won't talk to you about it, it's at least written down. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's interesting there, you know, again, it's so taboo. It's out there. There are so much out there. And again, working with you and, and other groups that are trying to, you know, surface uh, mm-hmm. the importance of discussions like this. I think that, you know, there are going to be people out there that, that do the shock value. I'm dead now. I'm dead. Now what? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really interesting, cute way to do it, but it gets your attention, right? Yeah. I mean, so, and, and some people might, bri- might bristle at that, but yeah. there are so many different ways, so many different resources out there, podcasts, blogs, websites. The thing is, is that they, they all tend to push information out as opposed to trying to in- engage. And that's why I love the podcast so much because you're having discussions and when people hear people talking, it helps them to talk. Mm-hmm. If you're just reading information, you can, you know, sit at two in the morning and, and get a wild hair to go on the internet and look, you know, when you can't sleep at information, whatever it is, end of life information, you could do your own exploring, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily going to get you off that, you know, mm-hmm. okay, now that you're learning, who can you tell a person that you're going through this, that you want to do, go through this explore, exploration, whether it's end of life planning or whether it's needing grief counseling. It's just, they're just both really hard to admit it's time because usually, you know, most people plan their funerals after attending the funeral of a loved one or a friend. That's Mm -hmm. when they get a sense of mortality. And a lot of times they're older. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, if they haven't kept up with things except for pictures in their, you know, shoe boxes, there's a lot of work to be done to, to get all that stuff together to put through your life. But if you're consciously doing it all the time, the end result this from celebration to the onset of grief and the journey through grief is much, much better. Yes, that's, that's for sure. Well, it's, you've got such a, a wide scope of things that you can really genuinely and that you are, not that you can, but you are helping people with. And I, I think it's just marvelous. And I look forward to work, working with you on things in the future. I can see how we can support. Well, we'll definitely keep in touch. We do. We definitely want to have a network mm-hmm. of people who think uh, in like ways. And so I'm sure we'll be crossing paths uh, many times as we continue to, uh, to evolve the Love Always Project. That just sounds wonderful. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that you're here today and can't wait for people to get to listen to this and get inspired and, and see what they can do and how it can make their life better now. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to hearing it and I do appreciate the opportunity. Best of luck to you. Oh, thank you very much. And we'll see our listeners next week. Thanks for listening. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode 